And I looked around and I and I saw this man, Hippolito. He, he there's no denying it. He's one of the most vulnerable in the in the Carinago territory. No running water, no electricity. He has uh he's taking care of his physically challenged son. He himself has health issues. And I and I and I wanted to connect climate disaster to this because prior to that he had his own house. Prior to that, he had his small little garden. So if the hurricane passed in, in Kalinago territory in Dominica, and we are saying in Kalinago territory, 90% of the houses were destroyed. I felt as a journalist that this man was left unattended because he did not have a voice. <laughs> So good day everyone. My name is Hippolyto Nobello and I am a journalist from Belize and with me I have Maureen. So Maureen, to start off, tell us more about yourself. Well, my name is Maureen, as you rightly said. I am from Dominica, the Commonwealth of Dominica, and um, I always like to clarify which Dominica. It's not Dominican Republic, it's the Commonwealth of Dominica, which is a small island located or sandwiched between two French countries with um, Guadeloupe to the north and Martinique to the south. I um, I have indigenous um, heritage. Um, I live in the Kalinago territory and uh, I am qualified as a social worker. And presently I am doing a course with the London School of Journalism. And of course I have been a fellow with the Climate Justice Practice Program. I hope I'm saying it properly. Yeah, so you've been very, very busy. Um, let me say that working with you has been an excellent experience. And I myself have been learning from you and especially from your indigenous background. Um, so let's start off by talking about what you think about the climate change, the Climate Truckers Fellowship in Climate Justice. What have you learned so far? Um, well, I was particularly interested in the indigenous aspect. So what I did, I tried my best um, to at least cover most of the social issues or, or, or um challenges um, as it pertains to climate trackers. I think it gave me uh, the avenue or the platform that I would not have gotten otherwise because a lot of time, as I said um, previously, we tend to focus on climate change as the, the damage of climate disasters on the economy, on the infrastructure, and we fail very often to focus on the social aspects. And um, I have always said as well that as much as we, we need to focus on our economy and the infrastructure, these are the tangible things that we see, but we do not see the lasting impact and the, and the effect that it has on individuals, on their, on their lives, and um, how it uh, hinders their ability to recover from a disaster. So, for example, in Dominica, um, we had this massive Category 6 hurricane in 2017. And um, we have been doing a very good job when it comes to infrastructure because we got assistance from the World Bank, we got assistance from the um, CDB. However, these are things that we can measure. We can You can come in and say, ah, so I can see that Dominica has recovered uh, or is recovering well. See, um, uh, 50 persons receive houses. That's wonderful. 
what can we measure the impact that it has had on children, on persons with disabilities, how much it has um, hindered their progress, the trauma that stays with them. These are things that we cannot um, adequately measure. Also, um, climate trackers gave me the opportunity to explore further. How do, do we have that social network or that, that system that needs to be in place? So for example, post-Hurricane Maria, we realized that our social welfare division was overwhelmed. As you can as well imagine in any country, in any developing country or developed country, a uh, category six hurricane with that kind of devastation left post-hurricane or post the climate disaster, the system would be overwhelmed. How have we as um, residents in Dominica um, ensured that our social system is stronger in the event that another disaster comes, God forbid, that we are not in that situation that we were five years ago. So that is the kind of um, structure or the kind of um, thinking that climate trackers help me with. And then your stories that you've worked on over the past few months have been excellent. And what I keep telling fellows is that climate change affects everything and climate change affects everyone. Um, it affects other people more severely than than other persons, right? So why why was it important for you to be the voice of the voiceless, of the marginalized and vulnerable communities? How important was it for you to advocate on their behalf and to share their plight and what they're going through because of climate change? As you rightly said, um, Hippolito, um, climate disasters affect some more than others and persons who are already marginalized and vulnerable. You can as well imagine um, the disaster, the devastation rather, that a climate disaster can have on them uh, and, and the kind of vulnerability or the risk that they have. They, they, they are like even more at risk. So some of the stories that I have covered, the first story um, is the inclusion or the voices of um, persons with disabilities. If you have a, a disability in the Caribbean, for example, where um, accessibility is an issue, and that has been one of the, the areas that they have been championing, simple access to a hurricane shelter, and um, a disaster comes, how are they able to, to be um, transported to the hurricane um, shelter? Are they comfortable at the hurricane shelter? And these were aspects I felt that we were not looking at, but this is what affects them. And because I felt it important to champion that because attention was not being placed on that. And I, I also believe even if I cover one story on that, that's still not, a, it's not adequate. So it has to be a continuous advocacy on behalf of the most vulnerable groups, such as persons with disabilities, um, children, the senior citizens, single parents, and so on. You know, as journalists, it takes a lot to get the story from start to end. Um, in covering these stories with and focusing on vulnerable groups, do you have you ever gotten sad when they tell you their story? Do you do you feel some kind of emotions? From, from their story? I felt very emotional um, for two stories. One with um, the senior citizens 
and the story I made, my fourth story, the cries that trail climate disasters. But I want to focus on the on the first one I spoke about, the senior citizens. This story brought me to the Kalinago Barana Ote, which is a premier tourism site in the Kalinago territory. And when I went, um, the gentleman, he speaks French Creole, and he was expressing himself. And he was saying that post-Hurricane Maria, um, he was expressing, he was giving me details about his experience in the hurricane shelter. And then he said, even post-Hurricane Maria, everybody, um, they have been getting houses because, you know, you want to ensure that persons um, benefit um, from the housing revolution or the housing assistance that the World Bank and the CDB would have given. And I looked around and I and I saw this man, Hippolito. He, he, there's no denying it. He's one of the most vulnerable in the, in the Cardinago territory. No running water, no electricity. He has, uh, he's taking care of his physically challenged son. He himself has health issues. He relies only on $300 for the month, which is about $150 US for the month. On this money, he has to purchase diapers and everything that his son needs. And you would think that this person would be one, one of the first persons to be targeted, to get benefits. And it saddened me because he was expressing himself and he, and he said to me, and today my carer is not there and I don't know what I'm going to eat. And I, and I, and I wanted to connect climate disaster to this because post Hurricane Maria, somebody could say, but Maureen, maybe this is just an ideal situation or a normal situation for him. But no, prior to that, he had his own house. Prior to that, he had his small little garden and 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 the other thing is there is there is a system a system a support system was put in place especially coming from climate um from the climate disaster a relief system so if the hurricane passed in in Kalinago territory in Dominica and we are saying in Kalinago territory ninety percent of the houses were destroyed I felt as a journalist that this man was left unattended because he did not have a voice, because he did not have somebody, he doesn't have somebody to advocate on his behalf because I felt that he he lives away from the from the road. Nobody sees him. Um, so if the leaders pass, he's not their priority. Their priorities um, most likely it seems to be those living near the, the road. So in case the World Bank passes, in case the CDB persons pass, they capture and they say, wow, okay, we can see houses being built for the single mothers and those with children. And, and I am not saying that they don't need the assistance. I'm saying that when we, we, we do stories like that, we are able to at least get the one-on-one -on -one kind of feedback from these people. And that really saddened me to see this man having a physically challenged um, son. I'm going to say it again. It's going to sound as if I'm repeating myself. But I'm repeating myself to show you, Hippolito, that this man, I believe, was he should have been one of the first persons to receive assistance. And up to this day, 
it's been months now since I did the story, and I and I am very certain that nobody took him on, and it's gonna remain that way because he he's an elderly. He has nobody to advocate for he for him. He's away from the road. Nobody cares if he has water, if he has electricity, if he has a resilient house. They just know that if another disaster is gonna come, come the hurricane season, that they will take him and they will bring him to a hurricane shelter and then bring him back and put him in a temporary housing. And and yes, so doing stories like that, they actually made me sad. The other story that made me sad was the one with the child um, abuse case where this young lady opened up and she spoke about her experience after Hurricane Maria, living in the house with um, not having a house because her house was destroyed, her family house was destroyed, and she had to go ahead and live with um, her uncle. Her parent, her mother came and he abused her. And even after he abused her, she knew, she was saying that she knew that she had to take a step and to report it. But she felt even more afraid of reporting it because if she had to report it, to the police or even to her mother at the time that she would have, to, most likely they would have to put her out because there would be no place because you're going to report to the person who is housing you. And and this made me um really sad when she went ahead and she said, well, and even now I remember that. And I felt that this child's life was destroyed because right now um she said on a certain time she just could not, she could not cope. So uh, fortunately or Unfortunately, I know some persons will have different views. She has um, a child now and um, she's still going through all of that without no therapy. And that sadly is the story for many other young people in Dominica, those who are afraid of speaking out and those um, who are simply trying their best to just drown it and forget about it. And we at Climate Trackers, Maureen, appreciate your articles being the voice of the voices there in Dominica. Um, but do you get upset? Do you get angry at seeing these situations? And does it does it motivate you to write a proper story and be the voice of the voices there? Well, the first story actually got me very annoyed. It, it got me angry. I I will confess. I. And um, Hippolito, I I had to be very careful because um, I am always an outspoken person. And I felt also that climate trackers, as much as I had to cover the story, I had to try my best to be my most professional self. I had to drown some of my, my strong emotions and to write it in the best way possible so that no one would say that I am lashing out on the government or I'm lashing out on the lack of transparency when it comes to the criteria um, for selection of recipients for houses. Um, I just had to try my best because I wanted the, the population in Dominica to understand and to see the story in the in a neutral light, and I do not know if that was the best best tactic or strategy. I don't know if I had to add more emotions to it, but generally, because I am always seen as a political um, figure or somebody who speaks openly, um, I did not want that to deter um, other readers to say, "Well, okay, Maureen is just going to 
um, bash the government again. I did not want that. I wanted my story and my experience with climate trackers to bridge that gap where they would be able to understand that this is just Maureen writing in the most professional way. And she's given the advantages. She's given the disadvantages. So she's someone that we can actually listen to. So I was trying to build my credibility. But yes, there were, uh, this was one instance where I got angry and I had to take a breather and then go ahead and rewrite. So what you actually got was one of my most um, professional pieces of writing because you would not be able to detect I am thinking that I am hoping that you would not have been able to detect um, that I was angry when I was writing this story, as well as the one on child abuse. One of the reasons why I was angry about the child abuse case is because when I look at the social service system as it is now in Dominica, I believe that it has not, we have not used the lessons learned from 2017 to now to fix that division. So in case something like that happens again, I strongly believe that we will still feel overwhelmed. We will still not be adequately um, prepared. And my, my the rationale for saying that is, right now we only have one social welfare officer for the entire Eastern um, District in Dominica. So the Eastern District covers it's about, uh, let me see, maybe 16 communities, one social welfare officer. I would think that after post, um, after Hurricane Maria, we would have identified, well, okay, one welfare officer is not enough because this area is too wide. Kalinago territory alone needs a, a, a welfare officer. We did not address that. We have not recognized that. And I'm saying we have not recognized that because in recognizing, I would think that when you recognize there's a problem, you try to address it. That's why I'm saying we have not recognized that. So if a hurricane comes tomorrow, we're going to be in the same situation because our social um, workers, it's not for no fault of theirs. They are overworked because you have one person for all this large area. This, the organization itself is located in Roseau. So anyone who has to report a case of child abuse has to pay his or her passage, go down to, to town to do this, and the welfare officer has to come up. One officer for all this area. It is just unrealistic. It's just not, it's not possible that one person would be able to cover that. And um, so when I was doing the story and interviewing and the, the parents were giving the feedback, well, we don't feel. And one of the things that I did not write in the story is that the parents felt that they had no confidence in the social welfare division of Dominica. And the rationale for that they gave is that whenever they report, there is a long gap in time for them to come back. And I, I address this because I'm saying it's not their fault because it's only one person. Imagine you getting 10 calls for the day Seriously, how can you how can you do that? There's transportation issues. Um, the other reason is the in case you actually go ahead and you report and they come in, the welfare division itself is not responsible for um the legal leg of it. It's the police welfare. We do not have a family court in Dominica that's operational. So that lengthy case, you get a child who is abused at in 2017 the case might call in 2023, if you're lucky. By that time, you have to bring the child for the entire trauma again. And it, it just, it left me very angry 
Because we know that. We all know that. And if somebody from Dominica is seeing me or the government or somebody from social welfare, there is no denying it. That's the truth. We have a broken system. But nobody is willing to stand up to say, hey, we have to fix this system. It's unrealistic. It's not, it's not possible for one welfare officer to be able to serve the communities effectively. It's not possible that we can have um, children being abused and there's a long time before somebody goes to, to face some penalty and we expect the parents to have confidence in us. They will lose confidence. It's only natural. So these were the two cases where I felt angry. And sorry, Polito, you know, I tend no, to- No, 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 you don't. You tell it yeah. like it is and, and we love that. And I'm listening to you and I am feeling frustrated because I could relate in Belize it's the same thing. the The system here, the systems here are 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 archaic, and the system that are supposed to support victims and protect victims and protect the vulnerable community and support them isn't doing that. And now people, residents, citizens of Belize, are losing confidence in the system. So why lean on a system when you know the system might not only be there for you, but might be against you? And it enrages me, infuriates me when I see that the government is budgeting millions and millions of dollars for this particular project or this consultation, but yet you can't find an outreach officer to deal with certain services in a particular community. It, I understand your, your rage, Maureen. I totally understand your rage. And, okay. and I wanted to say that journalists like me and you, we don't only write stories. We don't, even, we don't only report the news. What we also do is give people hope. You gave that man in the Kalinago territory hope. You gave that mother hope. Let me ask you this. What would you think it would be like if there were no reporters or media houses in Dominica? I think the situation would be the situation would be worse because um one of the things that journalists like like ourselves, we do, especially those who are uh, unafraid of um, speaking, is that we communicate to the leaders that there is somebody here who will be holding you accountable. And that in itself, even if they acknowledge it or not, in the, in the subconsciousness, they know that there are some things that they have to do. That And they know as well that if they don't do them, chances are there's somebody who's going to um, bring it to light. So they may not necessarily act because they want to act right. They might, it might force them to do what is right to, um, for the vulnerable ones. Yeah, I totally agree. And then what's, what's, your, what's your process like? in terms of picking a story, picking an angle, choosing how you start a story, how you end a story, and who do you interview? What's your process like? Well, for me, one of the first things I wanted to do, I focused on climate justice. I remember when I picked my first story, um, you told me, okay, so what's the climate justice aspect of it? And I had to think, what is the climate justice Part. So all of my stories, although they deal with social issues, 
I try my best to um, connect the the individual, the experience, how um, the climate has caused them, has put them in even more vulnerable positions or, ma or marginalized them or um, heightened their risk more. Um, so that is how I do it. So I focus on my topic and I make the connection to climate change and climate justice. And um, for me, I went ahead and I picked out the, the most um, vulnerable groups in Dominica, being um, persons with disabilities, senior citizens, children, um, single parents. Um, I did a youth the last time. And um, for the, my final story, I'm thinking about focusing on the journalist, Mr. Tim Durand, who is the owner of the Dominica News Online. And he has being a, a, a mentor to me and encouraging me to focus on stories like that. So I, I really want to ask him, as a person with years of experience, um, does he feel that the media, the government, the other systems are, are willing to have discussions with him and to focus on climate change? Because if there's an unwillingness to facilitate that discussion, to have that discussion, chances are we may not be able to give out a full story, an, a balanced story. Yeah, excellent. And one of the other things I wanted to ask you, Maureen, is where do you find the time to do all of this? You mentioned you're, you're doing school, you're doing the fellowship, you're doing other courses. And I asked because time management and prioritizing stories and having a, a career and a full-time job is important. Where where you find the time to do this? Well, Hippolito, I must say, um, in life, you come across people that you you think maybe having a normal conversation or average conversation is not something inspiring. And I and I'm gonna bring this to what you're asking. I know that when I speak to you. And I say, the first thing I ask is, when is the story due? And you will tell me, well, the first one was supposed, to, it was the first draft was supposed to be on this date. However, um, on the 19th is a reasonable time. Within that, I think already, I have the masters doing with Open Campus. I have the one doing with the London School. I have the MBA doing with the Spanish Place. I have the freelancing that I'm doing with East Dominica Children's Federation. Now, how am I going to do this? So I go to my schedule based on my timelines for different assignments. I say, okay, I think I can fit this in there. And there are lots of times where I will, I would do the interview maybe a week before and I am not able to collate it. But I know that I have a time slot from three o'clock to nine o'clock on a particular day. And the, the, the story is due for Hippolito at nine o'clock that night or 11 o'clock that night. So I have to try my best to stay up, even if I have other stuff to do, to ensure that I deliver the story to Hippolito at a particular time. So it all has to do with time management. And um, Hippolito, at that point, I want to compliment you because I think you could have increased my stress level by telling me it has to be done by that time, that time, that time. You have never been like that. So you have always been that understanding person to say, well, okay, Maureen, no problem. It's on the 19th and that's it. 
you don't come and tell me, please remember it's on the 19th because I know already. So on the 19th, I know I have to stay up and to give it, deliver it at that time. And um, and I want to say thank you because he put it to all of us as freelancers, as persons with our nine to five, whoever, wherever you are, we all have our little issues dealing with. And sometimes we just have to put our, ourselves in somebody's somebody's position and to try to understand. And I think you not putting pressure on me, I have I am so very thankful for that. Actually, I think we have a very good and productive relationship where I'm able to ask you any question. You're able to send a message for me um, and have that kind of professional relationship that is beneficial to both of us. Because I understand that if I don't deliver on time, this is an added stress on you because you're responsible for those mentors. So if I don't deliver, that's an, a stress on you. If um, you stress on me, that's an additional stress stressor for me. So it, I think it's it's a very good balance. And um, I will always speak highly of you when it comes to climate trackers, because you are the face of climate trackers for me. That's the person I interact with all the time. Even if I interact with the others occasionally, for me, when I think of climate trackers, I think of Hippolyto, my mentor, the mentoring that you have um, provided and the relationship and your your strategy in getting me to have the stories and, and, and so on. So kind words, Maureen. Thank you very much for those kind words. And yeah, it makes no sense for me to stress you every single day because I've been where you've been juggling several things, you know, at a certain time. It makes no sense for me to put that added pressure on you. Absolutely no sense. And because I trust that you are always going to do a good job, then I have no worries or concerns that you're not going to meet the line or I would have any additional stress from you. So I, I want to thank you for that, for not stressing me out because it helps. It helps a lot. But okay, so looking forward, you're doing all of these courses, engaging everywhere. Um, in the next five, let's say five, 10 years, where do we see Maureen in Dominica or even in the Caribbean region or maybe internationally? Do we see her as one of the best 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 of the best, of the best there in Dominica? Um, what's, what's your goal? Well, Hippolyta, as much as I am doing um, the masters with UB and with the, the the university in Spain, my passion is not only to write but to speak. So I am hoping that I can be on a platform where I'm able to just freely express myself. And not just in Dominica, but regionally. I am not going internationally because I believe that goals have to be, as much as you have to think big, it has to be realistic and it has to be measured. So um, it's not like I'm done playing myself, but I want to have a reg regional presence, um, but not only writing, speaking. Perfect. And asking and then, the tough questions. Exactly. So I, I was very sure say, that you right? <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, don't ever forget the tough questions. Yes. Yeah. And then, Maureen, from myself, from Climate Trackers, um, we want to say that we appreciate the work that you've been doing. Um, it's has, It has been great having you on board as one of the first members of the first cohort for Climate Justice Fellowship. Um, hopefully we work together more in the future. You're always welcome to work with us. Um, do you have any last words for our listeners? 
I would like to um, thank Climate Trackers for the, giving me the opportunity. And um, I would like to encourage others to read the stories from all the other fellows across the Caribbean. And to the journalists out there, I think that one of the things that can put us, um, separate us from other journalists is by asking tough questions. As much as we feel it's, we all feel afraid sometimes. We all can get the back backlash. But I think there are times when you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There are times when you, and that is what's going to separate you from others. That's what's going to build your brand. When you know, when you hear, oh, Maureen Valman and somebody can say, oh, this is the Maureen Valman who's going to ask me a tough question. I think I had to, I have to research before I, I meet her. That is the kind of thing that I, I think we should try to, to get. The Hippolito. Oh my God, I read some of his stories. These are awesome stories. That's the kind of Mac that I want us to build and I want to build for myself. So, but all of that starts with asking the tough questions and being true to yourself and, and challenging yourself to cover the stories that others may feel don't warrant publicity. Perfect, Maureen Valmont. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. No problem, Hippolyto. It was nice having you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.